Welcome to the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, the show where we dissect the businesses of top producers, examine their growth strategies, and share with you the bare bones of their success. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and I'm glad you're here. Let's operate. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to another edition of the Small Business Surgeon. I'm your host, Samuel Smith. And guys, I'm joined today by a good friend of mine, uh, Lowell Lyle. He is the co-owner of Eminem Apparel. Uh, He's also the host of the BCS Community Connections podcast that I was lucky enough to appear on last month. And so in return on the favor, I wanted to bring him on my podcast and share his story with you guys because he's got an absolutely fascinating story. So uh, please give a warm welcome to uh lowell lyle lowell hey, welcome to the show thanks, man. Sam. i appreciate you having me on man dude it's 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 been uh, it's been a minute since we met that man we had such a great conversation on your podcast i really just kind of wanted to flip the switch around on you today because uh, uh, i felt like i talked maybe a little too much and uh, uh over <laughs> sometimes it's the other way around. i get accused of talking definitely way too much as it is and and but it's unique to be able to sit in the chair and not have to have all the prep notes and all that other kind of stuff because you know when we're interviewing people you know you want to have a you want to have a little list that you're going off of and things you can touch on and everything but being on the receiving end of that is yeah kind of, it feels a little bit different so well man i've got a little list but it's only a short list yeah. um because last time i don't think i looked at my notes uh, at all yeah. during our show so um i really just kind of want to flip the script and start with you and your life because now you're the co-owner of quite a large um apparel company let's not be uh, let's not beat around the bush and be humble about it you've done a yeah, it's uh, okay <laughs> you've done a really we're, good we're job. second in town in what we do so and we're good with that so how can i help you get to first or well I, you know i think when you, i don't know if it was you and i that were sitting and talking about that and i said you know that i'm pretty sure it was on our podcast of course i've done i think i've clocked in 25 podcasts now you've been pushing them out yeah i have and and you know i i realized i have big dreams of dropping these things almost you know oh we can do this daily and mm-hmm. then i started realizing man like i've got to i've got to put a little time in for research and then a little time for editing and everything else so once a week seems to work pretty well for us and you know the quality of the people that we've had uh, i mean you know just getting them in getting their insight the thing i love the most about it is when we sit down at the table i get to learn stuff that i didn't know and so exactly. i walk i walk away well more educated um and then even the idea of just walking away and not only knowing more about what their business is but knowing mm-hmm. more about the person that's sitting across from you Absolutely, and, and these some of these businesses that are in town, if they get any kind of man, if you get any kind of time to promote your business, like let's say a KBTX or something like that, you're doing that in like a two minute snippet, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and when we started out, you know, again, it was kind of the idea of of okay, forty five minutes to an hour, and I mean, on average, man, my stuff runs two and a half you know i mean it's like your little joe rogan over there it, it is but it's you know the one thing that i always say also is it's easy to get lost in, in those conversations when it, it just flows and it's smooth and we tell people when we start man we'll see where it goes you know we'll see how long it takes and you know i just kind of i guess i guide them you know with some yeah. of my stuff and just kind of you know throw to the next question or throw to the next subject and so it works out really well and we've really enjoyed that and that's been a big a big part of the of the momentum, I guess, of that podcast. And, you know, you touched on something that I, you know, it's kind of a secret, um, but I'm not the best in the world at everything. And, (laughs) you know, I like to bring on guests 
And I get to sit with them for an hour and I get one-on-one insight with business leaders and people like yourself and authors and just like, it's, it's, it's almost free coaching. It really world. is. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's completely invaluable. So how is, uh, before we get too deep into where you come from, um, how has the podcast affected uh, the uh, the M&M apparel business? Has it started to kick in yet and give you that uh, give you that organic reach that you're looking for? Or? You know, I think it's made I think it's maybe made us a little bit more visible in a in a in probably a vein that we probably wouldn't have been in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you get our goal is not bring people in and get money out of a podcast. I mean, that's that's. Uh, the podcast for us, while we invested money in that, and you kind of saw the setup and all that right. deal, I yeah. mean, we invested money in it to to make it professional so that we gave the people who came on the opportunity to be, be in a professional atmosphere and make sure that their business was represented well. And, and I think I told you on our podcast, you know, we started that deal as more of a servant ship back into the community mm-hmm. Then with the idea of going, okay, well, hopefully this will drum up some extra business. But, <laughs> you know, I think people walk in there and they, you know, that, that's the first thing is if you, there's people that know of us that haven't seen what we've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't been in the business. They haven't walked in and seen, you know, the, the, the retail shop that we added on in the last six years. And so... When they come in, then they're kind of like, "Wow, y'all are way yeah. bigger than I saw you the last time." I, you were, you were way bigger than uh, than you were when I first saw you yeah. as well. I mean, I was really impressed with the building, the setup, and everything. And I think what you, you see, podcasts, you can't just start a podcast and, and make money from it. Yeah, um, that's not why we're here. Uh, you know, I like to give, and I do these interviews to number one get coached by people yeah. get an insight into there number two share their stories with my audience yeah. and to give to my audience and the people that listen and the outcome of it is reciprocal business yeah. but it's not the it's not the the main input it's not what you what you shoot for you shoot to serve on the podcast and you shoot to help people uh, move from from one area to another or help elevate their lives or become a better version of themselves and then that business just kind of comes around organically by the end of it. Yeah, so. the, I think the word organic is probably the key. Probably the key word there. You think about you know you're you're tilling and planting all the soil and everything that that person who's coming to your podcast really needs to to get their business out there and grow their yeah. business. And then in return, you know they're growing within the soil that you're creating, but at the same point, it's your garden too that you're, yes. you're presenting that in. So, yeah. kind of gives you the opportunity to you know not just learn more about the guests that's there in their business, but that networking piece between the two. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times do we get an opportunity to sit down face to face with another business owner, spend that time, and then when we walk out, be able to also have that networking ability to go, oh, you know, I don't do this particular business, but hey, exactly. I talked to somebody who did yeah. and let me reference them, you know, your name, number, everything else so that they can help you. And honestly, since I started doing that, it's been about a year, I just started giving uh, instead of uh, trying to figure out how to make money, just figuring out how I could help people. Um, it, it's been an overwhelming transformation in, in my business and in, in my checking account, if we're, if we're honest. <laughs> um, but anyway, you are the co owner of M&M Apparel, yeah. which is uh, the second largest apparel company here in uh, the Bryant College Station market. Tell us a little bit about your journey, because you didn't just wake up and decide to own a business, no, did you? you know, so, I mean, we're a, we're a 30-plus-year-old screen printing and embroidery company over off of Welsh, and, and, you know, our roots for that company start well before I joined, well before my, my brother-in-law, who's one of my partners, joined. Um, Brian, who's probably the oldest partner of the three of us in there, not just by age only, but 
just with being there, I mean, they've seen this thing grow from, you know, a single suite uh, mm -hmm. into what we have now where we have the run of suites over at, uh, at 1806. And then at 1810 is where we put the new building on. But I came to the guys um, as a business partner with us building the retail part of it. So when you walk into the new store, that's really what we classify as where we were building retail. Um, and, and I tell people, you know, when we sit down and I think we even discussed it on the podcast where the three of us sat down and, and kind of just record ourselves to, to put stuff on, to, to understand the growth of where we were. When we got into that, the idea was we'd put the retail business in place mm -hmm. and it would just boom because we were going to sell high school. We were going to sell A&M. Right. We had all these ideas of stuff that we could put in there and sell. I had 25 years of retail experience already coming into it. So I spent 20 years with Walmart as a store manager and four years with uh, with Hobby Lobby and had a very, very short stint at, uh, at home uh, and then joined the guys here to build mm -hmm. this building. And so... Um, it was kind of a nat what felt like a natural progression to go from the small suite at 1806 and, and then grow it into uh, the retail business and move the, the offices and stuff and kind of get them all into one location but still continue to use the other one. But I tell people also, and I think the guys would agree, I mean, we, we got probably too big too fast. I mean, those dreams kind of, mm -hmm. you know, man, we can do this and we can do this. And I knew what the budget was. We had talked about the budget, but your budget is your dream, you yeah. know? So you kind of sit down and go, well, you know, when we build this, and so this is going to be our budget. I mean, <clears throat> even, even through the process of it, I mean, you have a vision of what you want. When you walk into the shop, the shop is very uh, intentional, right? I it, mean, it really colors, is, yeah. uh, fixturing, things like that. There's a lot of stuff in there that's very intentional to draw eyes and pull things in certain locations and stuff. And, and to give a, a, a much more upper scale impression when you walk in. Um, but even those dreams though, have to kind of be reeled in. And I think for us, that's kind of where we were like, well, we'll figure it out. Once we get open, you know, it'll all work itself out. And you don't realize like, <laughs> it never man, does. I've, I've added this, <laughs> I've had all these extra expenses now with this building. I've got a, you know, I've got a new note on the building. I've got all these extra people. I've got everything that, you know, we've now doubled up on from going to this building to now putting a second one in and, and you, you make projections, mm -hmm. you know, this is where I think we're going to be at. I think once we're a bigger footprint, people will see that more people will come and that happened, but it didn't happen at the growth rate that you want to see it, obviously. Well, that's, that's a thing because you say retail and there's nothing really that I know about Eminem Apparel that says that I can walk in there and buy a t-shirt. Right. I was, again, before we podcasted, obviously, yeah. I was under the impression that you were a company that I would go to if I wanted to order shirts for yeah. my business. Emotional or, goods, whatever. Yeah. 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 So um, how are you getting the message out to folks that like you can actually walk in there and buy A&M stuff and you can walk in there and buy college station high school yeah, stuff? Yeah. You know, so it's still the, you know, the backbone of the business where the business really has propped up and has grown over the years is still through screen printing, embroidery, and promotional goods. For, for, and mostly geared, you know, to businesses, mm -hmm. organizations, things like that. But in the, on the flip side of that, when you start putting in retail and now you're selling high school apparel, you, we were selling A&M merchandise and things like that, blank goods that people could come in and get, or even services where they could walk in like signing and, and uh, banners, you know, stickers, whatever, all of those things that, that we've grown into, 
the biggest thing that we've utilized is we've we've utilized I'd say number one probably just the networking of, of where we're working with operations that come in for those services. Mm-hmm. They go out and obviously word of mouth is is they're showing and telling. Uh, social media is another one. You know, uh, I I had the social media for a while and and quite honestly, man, I think there comes a point where. You know, I've reached the age where I'm not <laughs> the best social media, you well, know, you know. Uh, influencer by any stretch <laughs> of the means. You know, and so I turned that over to my niece. My niece is a little bit younger. And, you know, she's 20, she's 29. Um, but had a better, she had a better grasp on things like Instagram. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still living over in the Facebook world. And I'm also living in a world where what would draw me in, you know? So everything I'm doing, I'm thinking, eh, if this were me, I would really enjoy that. Yeah, yeah And that's sure. not, you know, again, that's, I'm not saying I'm an old dog by any stretch of means. You kind of are. Some days I feel like it, <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, it's one of those deals where you feel like you're in touch, but you also need to realize that probably those reins can turn over to somebody else to get a, to get an avenue to, to someone right, else. Right, for sure. So I think she's done a really good job of taking that on, but she's kind of the complete opposite. In her world, she's like, I don't live in Facebook. I live more on Instagram over here. And she goes, but I can cross between those two because the platforms cross over yeah. each other. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't do Twitter at all. You know, and, and <laughs> Twitter, she kind of looks at like Twitter as the old man's uh, avenue. I, you know, and I, we kind of look at Twitter as instant news and you know, you know but a lot of marketing like a lot of marketing guys kind of have drifted away from twitter yeah um instagram is huge uh i am coming to terms with instagram i i didn't like being forced over there yeah uh, i do like the fact that it integrates with facebook obviously you know facebook is where i get most of my business right. generate most of my traffic most of my referrals and everything else but my instagram account is uh, is growing steadily mm-hmm. and uh, we do get business from there so it's it, it's obviously you know i think facebook has uh, probably hit that peak in popularity mm-hmm. and the population that is on facebook is is aging out um however that's where a lot of my target audience lives Mm -hmm. um you know i go through uh every few months and i define my ideal customers and figure out who i want to work with and they're guys that are on facebook and that's where i spend most of my time targeting them and you know if you're selling to younger people then you definitely want somebody a little bit younger than you that's that's pulling people in from those other platforms man yeah you know and it's it's also i think the toughest part has been seeing where it's going you know what's going to be the next thing you know at one point we were in snapchat Mm -hmm. at one point we were in tiktok um but then when we kind of reeled that back a little bit, we also reeled that back and go, who are those, who, what's that demographic that's in those, you know, Mm -hmm. and is the 18 to 25 year olds, the ones that we're really trying to target for business purpose, selling things and, and trying to give them the opportunity to have resources for their business to promote. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure that'll change. And, you know, I mean, you've seen a lot of changes in, in social media just within the last six months. Oh, easily. You yeah. know, where you've got transfer out from Facebook to Parler and all these I other mean, look of at deals. Look at Clubhouse. Yeah. Man, that's just yeah. coming out of nowhere and blowing up. Yeah. And so staying out in front of it, but also staying in line with your, your demographics mm-hmm. is pretty tough. I mean, that's a, it's. It's kind of like you were saying, the majority of your business comes out of Facebook, you know, the majority of ours comes out as well, too. And so, but, but 
you don't want to rat hole yourself into no. a specific vein of social media and you miss another potential. So avenue. that's why I, what I do is I generally use Facebook as the, uh, as the main hub. And then I will take the things I share on Facebook and I will modify them slightly, duplicate them over to Instagram and then yeah. modify them again and duplicate them over to LinkedIn. Yeah. So each one resonates with my audience just a little bit differently. Uh, Cause there is a different audience on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, my ideal clients hang out on LinkedIn too. Yeah. Um, but you know, in in real estate, the the mistake a lot of people make is, oh well, I want to work with anybody that wants to buy or sell a house, mm. and I don't, man. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. yeah. I want to work with people like me. I've got a huge long list of the people that, uh, of the qualities in people that I want to work with, and Facebook enables me to target those and and really just speak to the audience that I choose and everybody else can pick another audience. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, you you may be trying to put as many customers in the barrel as you can, but if you do that, you're going to pick I mean, I, I, man, listen, I used to have an old saying at Walmart. There were, there were customers that I promoted to target customers, you know, (laughs) because people would always say, well, target, you know, they're higher end, but they're higher end, uh, feel and all that other stuff. But there were people that I was, I was gladly, you know, I <laughs> looked forward to in some cases because it created so many problems for yeah. us to, to promote them off to somebody else and let them go be somebody else's headache. Uh, just because you have money in your pocket doesn't mm-hmm. make you an ideal fit to a business. You know, no. so. and, and that's a mistake that a lot of first timers make in business. And I've made it plenty yeah. of times is you try to sell every every customer and please every customer and it just gets to a point where you know what i want to sell people that have the same core values as i do i want to work with people that think like i think that respect other people like i do and you know it just it's a shame to see what goes on especially in like the retail industry and um it is nice as a business owner to be able to say you know what i really don't think we're a good fit for working together you should maybe go and try a a different person well yeah and in that those conversations are sometimes uh, I think people play those as monsters in the closet of, of man, if I tell this customer this, they're going to wig out. Or, yeah, you or can't say that yeah. at Walmart, though, can you? No. <laughs> you yeah, tell. plus I've got a I've got a corporate overhead to watch out for. But I will say that the thing that I learned in that was the the ability to be able to, <laughs> to be able to tell some people go to hell with the nice way of, of paving a road in gold to do it. You know, how, I mean, how would you, you do could, that? Give me well, an example. I mean, I, you know, look, here's, here, I'll give you a perfect example. I won't say who it was, but you know, we had, we had a customer that we knew we were not going to be able to please no matter what it was that we did. Every order was wrong. It just didn't matter. And so, you know, we basically, we, be, I, we being me, I guess, <laughs> you know, kind of went to the forefront of that and just said, you know, we want to meet, we want to meet you at where your expectations are, but perhaps maybe your expectations are just higher than we can meet. Maybe they're just, you know, maybe you're expecting more from us than we have the ability to give you. And, you know, they could read between the lines. They knew what was going on. But That's I'm a not, really good way to phrase but it. But I'm not going to sit there and say, listen, man, you're paying my ass and I need you to go away either. <laughs> I mean, that's... That's not that's not how we want uh, even even a separation between a, a potential customer or a customer and your business can still be amicable enough that they walk away and maybe even they reevaluate. Mm-hmm. You know, we know because we're on the side of producing and doing all that other stuff. And, and we've got customers that walk in man they're fantastic. We could do it blind and deaf because they're so great at being able to tell us what it is they want in a fashion that we can interpret no matter what. And then we've got the ones, man, that like, you know, are looking for a piece of hair on a, on a shirt, you know, (laughs) that got left in a box. And, you know, 
we want to be able to meet everybody where their needs are and what with what their wants are for their, their for their business because the one thing most businesses don't understand that walk into our business while they're getting goods that are representing their business, you know, whether that's promotional goods or attire for their people or whatever, that's still our calling card on those folks. Absolutely. If they're putting on a, a jacket, if they've got a, a pullover, if they put on a, you know, they've got a coffee mug in front of them with their logo on it and stuff, that's still our calling card as the business. And so when it's sitting in their office or sitting in their organization and somebody goes, man, where did you get that? It's not any different than having a business card flipped out on the table. Go, oh, man, I got that over at Eminem Apparel, and here's the guy's name that I dealt with. Mm-hmm. And so we we understand that, and that's a big piece of, you know, one customer, one time, getting it right. And then if it's not right, then you make it right. And so I, I've learned invaluable lessons about there is no such thing in business as black and white. Mm-hmm. I, I no, think, absolutely. I think business owners want there to be black and white customers want there to be black and white, but there's black, white, and there's gray. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the way I trained managers in the, in the corporate world was, you know, listen, you know, black is the customer, white is the, is the business and gray is up for discussion. But if anything falls into gray, it always goes to the customer. Right. And so if you live in that world, man, you'll take care of 99.8% of all of your customers issues and concerns but, you know, in a small business, especially if you're, let's say your resources don't allow you a lot of mistakes. Right, that's true. Know, then yeah. a lot of times, man, the the, the, the business kind of locks in on this has to get done this way and we can't afford to do this again or we can't afford a refund or whatever. They piss a customer off, mm-hmm. send them out into the world. And again, you sent that calling card out. So it's going to, it's going to go on to whatever, you know, and and in today's world, man, it's, you know, social media and justice and everything else that pops up on Facebook, Twitter and everything else. I mean, they have the ability to really run you. Uh, and hurt your business Mm -hmm. by a a poor interaction on your business's behalf. I I can't count. And uh, yeah, I'm almost ashamed to admit, but the number of times where I've knowingly and willingly lost money on a deal to ensure that I've got a happy customer and to ensure that even if it wasn't a happy customer to ensure a a pain-free separation Mm -hmm. and an end of that and they, they don't understand that, hey, man, I, dude, I just shit five grand on this. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm out $5,000. There's nothing I can do, right? We just got to roll on to the next deal, roll on to the next client, and hope we get it right. Um, you know, we did a we did a massive job um, a couple of years ago um, for a, a very big, uh, very big company. Who, you know, I've got to skirt around it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we ended up with a, a mid-five-figure bill. Yeah, uh, for wow. the job, um, by the time everything was done and everything was paid for, we we'd ended up underbidding it by several thousand dollars. Yeah, and you know I had to wear this feather in our cap of hey, we've just completed a job for for so and so, and it's a really big job, and here's the here's the product, and we did a great work, and they loved it. Whilst knowing all the way in my back pocket, it's like well shit, uh, you know it cost me five grand to do that. Yeah, you know we went out, and we worked for three weeks, and I paid five thousand dollars for the privilege. I mean what the hell, but. You know, you've just got to got to suck it up and have a uh, have a process built from the mistake to ensure that that mistake doesn't happen again. Yeah, or you don't. You know, I think you and I talked about emotions in the business or whatever. Yeah, yeah you got to be careful to not let the emotions, you know, wreck the the potential to be able to salvage it. First off, 
but then also secondly in your decision making you know we we get people a lot that will contact us and say you know i want to get a quote on x number of shirts and Mm -hmm. we give them the quote and then they may turn around and go well you know i can get it online for this price i'm like okay you know it's not we're not in that business or in that vein to compete against people online because that what happens probably eight times out of 10 is that customer gets that shirt in and it's not what they thought it was exactly. going to be. Exactly. Yeah. You've got no proofing process other than a screen, which mm-hmm. I can make a, a picture on a screen look like anything, you know, and then it shows up at somebody's front door and they go, oh, yeah, that was a bad idea. And yeah. But you've already bought $500 worth of bad idea. Yeah. And oh, that customer, yeah. you know, that customer is now stuck with it. Whereas we know we're here, we're not going anywhere. And so we're always going to try and make that right for the customer. If we've miscommunicated again, black, white, gray, mm-hmm. if there's something in there that's in that gray that, that puts the fault back towards us or could be a fault of ours, man, you know, let's eat it and let's redo it. But you also have to make sure within your model that you created the ability to be able to eat it, redo it, mm-hmm. and still hopefully make a profit at the tail end of it. Well, that's the thing with mistakes. I mean, whenever we make something like that, uh, and it may be that we... Maybe we underbid a job and we, we don't make as much profit as we want. That leads to a new procedure within the company. It leads to, okay, there was a breakdown here with what was the mistake? Where did we go wrong with the number of hours this job was going to take, take the amount of material it was going to take, or whatever? And we can pull back through our process and say, okay, here was the mistake. We underbid this by this much because we had to do this process and this process and this process. Yeah. So. Coming from that, and you add all that stuff together, you end up with a new procedure for putting together bids. So was it really a $5,000 loss, or was it $5,000 that made my company better at putting together bids? Because in the two years since it's followed, we've not put a bid in and lost money on a job. Yeah. So was I mean, (laughs) yeah, you don't want to pay a $5,000 learning lesson, but you want to get something out of it, right? Absolutely. you got to turn it into a positive for you. But listen, I'm going to tell you, these, these... these times that we're moving into right now, if you're not on top of your stuff and you don't have your business operation laid out for for future purpose, mm-hmm. what's going to happen now that, you know, so cost of importing is increasing. Yeah. There's talk on the horizon of cost of wages increasing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know. It's all Trump's fault, mate. Yeah. All of it, yeah. So you've got you've to gotta turn around and you basically got to now sit there and look at it and go, okay, I can... I can start moving my model now mm-hmm. in front of it, or I'm going to be knee-jerk reaction yeah. to remove my body. And so, you again, let's say, let, let's take the one that's on the table with a $15 minimum wage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, which, if you're a small business owner, that probably makes you cringe. Now, for us as a business, and I want people to see the whole, the whole picture here, for us as a business, we pay pretty well to our folks already. That's not the problem. Now I can sit there and say, "Well, I already pay this these people fifteen or whatever." Mm-hmm. But what happens when I'm ten years in with the company that I'm working for? I'm making seventeen bucks an hour, and now we boom, we kick that all the way up, and now a brand new person is making fifteen, yeah. and you've got to separate that pay. Yeah, I mean that's that's the real issue, isn't it? Because you know I I say it with a a little wry smile on my face because I I don't pay minimum wage, um, you know. The, I'm not going to say what my lowest paid guy makes, but right. I, I will say that a $15 an hour minimum wage isn't going to affect my wage bill at all. Okay. Um, the but pro- that means your right. model's already set up right. in line for that. Yeah, but the problem is it's not my model internally. Yeah. It's I've got a 
skill set here that I've sat and I've developed and Sam is paying me for. And now I can put that skill set in my pocket, not do anything with it and go work a retail job for mm. 40 hours a week, not use my brain and still make the exact same amount of money. Yeah. It's, it's what worries me is the push from the bottom that we're going to get. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, not to, not to, um, not to make the push from the bottom, not seem important because it is, but also we've got to look at the amount of automation that's going to come in mm-hmm. and companies are going to be much, much faster when you take let's, and let's use, let's use McDonald's or, or Walmart, for example, yeah. when you, when you take a company who pays a lot, a large percentage of its workforce at or close to the minimum wage, mm-hmm. right? You, you are effectively doubling their wage bill right off the bat without giving their managers a bump or anything like that you're doubling the uh, amount of employment tax uh, that they got to pay and all of a sudden those self checkouts and those self ordering kiosks and they've already got robots making the drinks at McDonald's mm-hmm. you know the, the cups just slide down the line and they pop off the end and the person just puts the lid on and hands it out mm-hmm. um, you know i think we're going to see a shift towards just how few people can I pay to make this restaurant run as efficiently as possible? And buying those kiosks and installing self-checkouts is a lot cheaper over an 18-month delta than paying a guy. Yeah. And and that's that's what worries me. And you know, then you gotta look. I mean, shit, this is about small business, but <laughs> let's just go completely off track. You gotta look at does that push society towards a universal basic income? Mm. Which oh man. There's all kinds of pros and cons for that. Yeah. Um, you know, where do you think it's going? Well, let me give you an example. So, you know, Walmart, and I can speak a little bit more on them since I lived in that world. I mean, uh, did you sing the song every day? Uh, I did actually. I had a really good, I had a really good uh, morning cheer uh, for those that knew me. I mean, the ones that did it with me, man, it was it was unique to say the least. And and does, does that provide a psychological advantage does it make people feel it breaks the monotony of you know there there's a cheer that the company you know has you do uh with your employees and it's it's if done the way some people might show you it's pretty monotonous and it can be repetitive and it can really lose its meaning you know and so uh, i was definitely over animated over loud in the in the process of it <laughs> uh, but also involved my people in that as a part of that too so it was something that if, if I had an off day and I didn't feel like doing it, it was almost the complete opposite effect. Or if they went somewhere else, maybe they're helping in another store and saw that cheer and they're over there going like, man, they ain't near as excited about yeah, it. Yeah. I, I always say, though, you know, you control what's in your four walls. You know, I can't. Con- that was really the realization for me with Walmart is, you know, I, I retired in 2011. And, and what I realized is I'm not going to change the company. There were things going in the company, much of what you're talking about here. There were things that were changing in the company that I didn't agree with. What I could control within my four walls I'd been doing for years leading up to that. And I felt like some of the stuff that was coming down the pipe was going to be things that, that now meets a, a crossroads with me about how I really feel about the company mm-hmm. I started with. And... You know, with Sam Walton being that that head of the company and everything else, that was important for me. And I didn't want to become the manager that, you know, I've, I've got a group of orientation, hire, you know, new hires that are in there that I'm going, this is a great place to work. And I'm not feeling not that myself, it. you know. Yeah. It's hard to sell that down when you don't have the fire for it. So 
so where do you think they are on, on minimum wage? Sorry, because we did get oh, a, little, yeah. so, a little off track So, there. Well, here's a good example. So Walmart recently announced that they're increasing their wage line closer to that $15 mark, mm-hmm. right? But then what happens? I mean, I personally don't think there's going to be this this bump from seven twenty five to to fifteen dollars. I don't I don't see that. But I could say, listen. I think it's too low at seven twenty five. I'm telling you, it's too low. Oh yeah. But is ten the right number? You know, is it reasonable to go from seven twenty five to ten? I think that's a reasonable jump, and I think that's a reasonable jump for for businesses to prepare. Well, dude, it's been seven twenty five since since like, I can remember. Like I mean, eighty something. I mean, uh, okay. it changed, it, or maybe it was in the nineties. I I remember the change. I was with Walmart when the change happened, and it went, but it went. I think then, like from five and a quarter to seven. Or not seven, but seven twenty-five or whatever. See, I, I was working at the time. Um, my first job, you know, it was seven twenty-five an hour, yeah. and then I worked my way into a raise, and the guy was like, really, really pleased to give me a raise, and he raised me to seven seventy-five an hour. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Thanks. Man. Yeah. Fuck yeah! But wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Pat myself you, on the back. You sure, you can afford that there, mate. Yeah, an extra four dollars a day. But if let, let's just hypothetically say that jump happens, and yeah. Walmart's you know, Walmart's try to get out on the front side of it and increase their people's pay. Well, now all of a sudden, they're at fifteen. They're at minimum wage mm-hmm. if that bump happens, and so the the bump can't be to fifteen. And hey, we're good because we're there because they they've never truly paid minimum wage. They've always paid it above the minimum wage mark. But what does that mark look like? And on a company that's in massive scale like a Walmart, an Amazon, mm-hmm. these companies that have profited on the backside of COVID and, and really been you know deemed essential to yeah. say the least. Yeah. You know, those companies have the ability to make those moves. You know, when you're in a small business, if your structure is is I have entry level positions and I'm paying those guys minimum wage, you're as a business, you have to basically do one of two things. You have to reposition your your pricing on things to cover that if you're planning on keeping that staff or you're going to a two-for-one deal. Now, I'm eliminating a job, but I've got to require somebody else to pick up the slack. Mm -hmm. So now it's doing more with less. And, you know, what a lot of businesses, I think, found out in COVID is, is I think businesses started that restructuring look at when COVID started ramping back up we're coming out of the back end of this here it was i can't i'm not i don't have the income coming in that i had pre-covid now i've got to figure out what to do well that's what happened over here i mean with with the guys at media foundry uh and to a lesser extent with with living college station as well honestly the real estate company uh it, it did it did very well through 2020 it's what kept the media company um alive really but we were forced to look at every last little penny we were spending in yeah. every last area. And we managed to trim over $4,000 a month in expenses, um, you know, without cutting anyone from payroll, just in um, consolidating some stuff and switching some stuff off that we weren't really getting value for money for. And I think that's what, if, if they haven't already done it, I think a lot of businesses are going to have to look at when the, when the minimum wage does increase, mm-hmm. go, all right, we, we can't, cut three jobs, we've got to have this amount of productivity, we've got this many clients to serve, we, we've got a projection of, of this much revenue for this year, here's where we need to make cuts mm-hmm. in order to, to stay healthy. And I think that's, we're gonna see, honestly, through just simple necessity and attrition, we're gonna see businesses either get leaner and, and figure out their bottom lines a little better, 
And, you know, maybe we'll see people stop spending as much on uh, shotgun marketing mm -hmm. and broadcasting out on the radio and chucking stuff on the TV where you've no, you've no metrics and people will start moving towards more tailored niche advertising that generates permission-based selling instead of just trying to cast a net wide. Maybe, maybe there's money to be saved there. I don't know. Well, and you're still looking at as a small business owner, you're going to look at every dollar has got to, got to oh, have a name. It's got to yeah. count, right? It's got to be, you know, if I put this dollar out, is it going to bring me something back? Correct. Yeah. And so, you know, you're throwing those dollars out with hooks on them to make sure that there's a customer on the tail end of that. But then you're also looking at this going, uh, you know, if I'm going to go leaner, which most companies will, um, my business may have to change on that. I may have to change, you know, from, this was my turnaround to this is my new turnaround or, you know, what I was always fearful of when I was within Walmart was I saw the transition from back when I started, there was more emphasis on full-time employees and part-time employees were a smaller percentage, 70-30. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, as wages go up, as prices go up in the market, cost of goods and everything else, you started seeing this shift starting to happen within the full-time, part-time model. Now, if you go back into it, they've really restructured and you're looking at more of like a 70-30 the other way, 70% part-time, 30% full-time. And now you're looking at, you're dealing with folks now in those roles that if I'm a part-time employee and I know this isn't my career-long deal, well, am I going to be as committed to my job, mm -hmm. to my customers, you know, or is this a deal that... Hey, this is a this is my third job, my second yeah. job, or whatever. So I'm I'm now burning the candle at both ends because I have a I had to go find me a full time job. I really liked it here, but I hung on to this as a part time job. But I'm not as committed to that anymore. Is there a, is there a reason that businesses are shifting to uh, to more part time staff? Sure, and keeping it. Yeah, man. I mean, what's the what's the number one thing you got to pay a full timer? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not just the wages. That's the first thing okay, everybody so, looks at. But. So I I know the reason. All yeah. right, what I was trying to extract out was was can we share uh, the fact that you know full time benefit packages? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you got to pay that out for people to feel like they're in a location that they can stay and grow in. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? 401k? Mm -hmm. uh, obviously insurance. I mean, most everybody that takes on a full-time job, especially if they're the breadwinner in their family, needs insurance. Yeah. And insurance is absolutely ridiculous. Right? It really is. I mean, yeah. my, my primary goal this year for Media Foundry, I mean, my goal last year was to keep it profitable and keep it open. Yeah. Uh, my primary goal this year is for everybody that works here is to have that 401k and have that health insurance. That's, yeah. that's our primary drive this year. Yeah, you got vacation time. Sick, oh, no, no, no. No vacations. Day. No, no. You're not sick. allowed to get sick. No, don't yeah, get, don't get ideas. All the stuff that goes along. I mean, it just depends on what you want to view your business to be. But, you know, at that same point, and this is, this is you know, for me as a business owner and, and living it in both worlds, living it as, uh, you know, a manager in a major you know, global-wide company, um, having to reconcile P&Ls every month and doing all those things in a, in a $150 million business per year uh -huh. made me extremely knowledgeable to take that into a smaller business model and really be able to, to define what we're doing. In, in, you know, listen, the things I've learned over the years, man, there's no such thing as good overtime. <laughs> there's just not. You're, you're not going to convince oh, me that man. at time and a half, 
that that productivity ramps up another 50%. It doesn't. Dude, man, when I worked at the meat factory um, back home, my hometown, you know, it's one of the major major employers is the meat industry and um, they would offer overtime and I would just work seven twelves just, yeah. <laughs> just uh, you get an eight hour shift and then halfway through the shift hey anybody want to work overtime and me and yeah. it was like free money yeah. right? and you didn't have to be nearly as productive because oh he's on overtime he's probably tired that's the that's my exact <laughs> point of what you're saying there I mean but that's it I mean so you know, being able to reel in payroll and keep walls up to it becomes really critical. And that was that was a big challenge coming into the business because we had folks in our business when I, I came in to, to join my partners is we had folks in the business that lived on that overtime. And well, I, I mean, think they do. knew that, oh, well, I can always get five hours each week or I can do that. And then I would come in and say, listen, this needs to go away. Either if we have to spend five hours every week, why are we not just hiring another part-timer? Let's get this person back in line at 40 hours, 38 hours, mm-hmm. 35 hours, and let's bring in the part-timer over here that can fill the backside role instead of spending you know, one and a half times the rate. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, but as, as an employee, dude, I used to love overtime. I would try and get well, sure as much of it as possible. Because, you know, <laughs> but that extra five hours a week, right, uh, at 20 hours a month, at $10 an hour, is an extra 300 bucks before tax. Right. And that's a big difference and a huge difference in somebody that's that's making ten bucks an hour, and you know for the sake of spending an extra hour a day to get that extra three hundred bucks. I mean, there's, there's not really many other places they can go get it. So I I totally sympathize with the guys yeah. uh, that that like overtime and that need overtime because I've been one of them. Um, but then again, I get it from your your perspective. Yeah. So if you're if if you're crunching down numbers. The, the mere fact of once you hit overtime, you know, hour number one, mm-hmm. you, you could have paid one and a half bodies basically yeah. to, to account for those hours, meaning another part-timer in that role. And another part-timer at, if that person gets X number of hours, their 40 hour a week, I, I can get that person back down to 40 and bring in a 20 hour person. Mm-hmm. And I don't, this will sound terrible. I don't have to pay the 20 hour person, the benefits and everything yeah. else that goes along with it. So Back to the Walmart piece. Why do why do you know why was I seeing the the flip from seventy thirty the other direction for that same purpose? I can bring in one and a half times the body, reduce my full time rate. Now on this thirty percent, this is all I'm covering with mm-hmm. insurance yep. and with you know the benefits packages and everything else. And my seventy percent over here. Thanks for playing the game. That does make life quite a bit harder for the 70%. Though, it does. It? And it creates a cycle of, of people who have multiple jobs. Yeah, but if I've got two part-time jobs and I'm clocking 60 hours a week, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm working a week and a half's worth of hours, no overtime, no benefits, mm-hmm. no safety net. Yeah. Is, man, where are we at as a society on that? That's well, I mean, <laughs> you know, and again, this is rolling you back into your, your universal basic income. I mean, and It's advantageous you know, for the business owner. In, sure it is. You know, but what's it do for the community? For all and everything else that kind of becomes a part of all of that, man. I mean, listen, I don't know how many people that, you know, when, when, 
I don't want to get into politics here, but go for when, it, when, when the Obama administration was in and they rolled out the marketplace for insurance, that <laughs> was supposed to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. You as a, as a consumer out in the market would be able to go and get your insurance. Me as a small business, I'd be able to find more affordable rates for my employees. And then what happened? I mean, we start out in that marketplace with 12, you know, 12 companies that are providing all kinds of stuff to it quickly shrank fast, fast, fast down to one. Everybody's bailing out. If it's the great, thing that that americans need and jobs are needed to 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 have this covered up and give everybody a chance at it then why were all those companies pulling out of there why were all those companies all of a sudden going listen man we can't do this this mm-hmm. isn't profitable for us and those rates honestly in the marketplace what we saw were terrible yeah they were they were bad but you know I, i'm gonna say something extremely controversial now um I believe as taxpayers that there is enough money in the pot to reform education, uh, to have healthcare, and even to look at a universal basic income if we would just stop blowing up poor little brown kids in other countries. Mm. Um, I'm not a huge fan of – I think when they say on the airplanes is when somebody is struggling for oxygen, you put your oxygen mask on first. And then you help other people. And I think as a nation, we might need to put our oxygen mask on here pretty soon because it's it's getting a little deep. Well, let me let me tell you, I had a an insightful podcast this week with uh, Lieutenant Timothy Israel for yes, Salvation yes, Army, yes, yes. and I, I released that out today. I saw it this morning. Yeah, he he had made a comment on there that just you know, first off, just my sheer level of ignorance of of learning and knowing about the Salvation Army and learning stuff for the podcast. I blame them because. <laughs> I I sat and uh, I sat and talked with those those guys. Um, it, it wasn't Timothy; it was the, the other lady. Yeah, his wife. Um, I blame the Salvation Army. Outside of standing around ringing bells at Christmas, when do you see them? Yeah, I mean, there's their their major fundraising falls into two really two functions. But they don't say who they are. They don't say what they do. They don't say who they're about. Yeah, and you you're a massive global organization. Yeah, hundred countries. You should take a minute and just do a little bit of like modern promotion, so we can. I I didn't know there was a Salvation Army here in town. Yeah. Outside of ringing the bells at Christmas and having a brass band play, so I'm ignorant of the Salvation yeah, I Army. I mean, what I was surprised to find was I was surprised to. And and again, this is I'm going to tell just my ignorance in this because there's probably going to be people listening to this like you didn't know that. I, I did not view the Salvation Army as a church. I view the Salvation Army as a place that people go to meet their needs for things that are necessary. Right? Dude, I, I didn't even know it was a church. But, but what what Tim was sharing with me was he was telling me that, you know, in 97 other countries, it's viewed that way. It's viewed church first, and then it rises to meet the needs of the, the people in the community. In the United States, in Canada— and in Australia, those three in particular, it's the other way around. It's culturally viewed as a place to meet the needs of people that just happens to have a church. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you were watching TV, listening to the radio, or surfing Facebook, and saw an ad that said, come join us Sunday morning for worship at the Church of the Salvation Army? It doesn't happen. So then but also, how can we be blamed? Because I didn't. I felt like powerless. I felt so ignorant when I was sitting talking to them because I didn't know uh, anything about them. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, unless I went and sought out that information, 
it wasn't there. And the Salvation Army could do a lot better job of its public-facing image, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I think that the idea of making every dollar go back into the community to serve a purpose into the community becomes really important. I don't know that advertising is one of those deals well, because it's... You know, you're advertising what? Right. But technically, they're te- <laughs> you know you I can get. You I may know. say something that's not that's controversial here, but technically, they're not a business. You right. Know, but you so. know, you know as well as I do, nonprofits can get free airtime sure. on local stations. Yep. I still haven't seen it. I was ignorant as to what the Salvation Army did yeah. until two people from the Salvation Army came down, sat across the table from me, and told me. Yeah. And. You know, at some point, you can't blame the adults in the community yeah. for not knowing what they do. Right. So I, I wish they would kind of it's, it's a, address that. It's a tough place to be when you know that the needs are continuing to rise, uh, when you know that there's yeah. a, a continuing, oh gosh, there's a continuing handout mentality to a lot of things. And these guys are strapped, not, I mean, to learn that they only have seven staff you know, paid staff that work for them. So that means everything else that gets done is on a voluntary mm-hmm. basis to learn that they were 4,600 volunteer hours short this last year in 2020 during the kettlebell ringing only. So, and their kettlebell ringing is done from November to December. Mm-hmm. That's 50% of their entire fundraising is in those two months. And if they don't have somebody to man uh, a kettle through volunteer hours, now they pay someone. No kidding. Yeah. So, again, that's money that for every dollar going into that bucket, it has to go to pay somebody who's sitting there ringing the bell. And how involved are you if you're getting paid by the organization versus I'm here feel good wise to volunteer my time. And and we talked about, you know, the amount of money that comes in on a volunteer basis versus the amount of money that comes in when they have to pay someone to, to stand at that kettle. And, uh, it's pretty, it was pretty eye opening. I think what was really crazy was also seeing what our need was last week with everything going on mm-hmm. in the community. Yeah. Um, and then that rising up to a magnitude that probably nobody ever would have been able to see or expect and completely like wipe out their resources that they have. Um, and, and what do you do? You know, I mean, you know, I put the, I, I sped their, their podcast, up quickly this week. I recorded that on Monday, released it on Wednesday. And, right. You know, you you know what that looks like. I mean, it's yeah. it's uh-huh. a lot of work to do that and get plus get all of the plus get all the social media stuff put in place and and then try and get people to listen and share it. Um, but then I also understand on their side what are their options. I mean, is he going to step out of his role, go to KBTX and say, "Hey, man, can you put me on so I can plead for people to make cash donations and food donations to us that that we've depleted." I'm looking at why. Why wouldn't you? Well, to I mean, point, I, yeah, you'd I have, would. You almost have to. I would. I'd be like, guys, it's the coldest week on record. Right. It's over. The stores are back open. Here's a problem. The yeah. pantry's empty. We need help. And what I happens, would absolutely stand on KBT. Well, yeah. What yeah. happens to them is the doors open, and here comes jackets and blankets. Right. And, yeah. and they sit there talking to me, saying, uh, "We don't need jackets and blankets. We need food, and we need money." Because now, what happens is, is that again. Ignorance again is you know they they rise up and help people pay utility bills, pay rent that fall on hard times, and they you know these people have to go through a through a process in order to, to access those funds. Obviously, yeah, but if but we now what happens when you know the the snowpocalypse utility bills hit? If we don't know that, how can we help? That's and, that's and to, and to the point of me going, this is really important to get out now. It doesn't do me any good to put that podcast out in eight weeks. Right. You know, so 
Uh, I'm hoping that that'll gather traction. But again, it's it's still to that point of not just individuals donating, but it's businesses getting mm-hmm. involved in that. You know, we kind of talked about the idea of you know we have we have apparel that you know we don't sell it. We need to make a decision on where it goes. Yeah. Um, and so if we can keep that local, we always try to do that. But it might have gone to. Scotty's house, or uh-huh. it might have gone to Twin City Missions, or something like that. And now, again, you start looking at it going, okay, maybe you know, Salvation Army really wasn't on our radar because, again, is it Salvation Army corporate? Like mm-hmm. you see that as a huge organization, so they yeah. have all these resources, or do you see that you know? Because when we look at a Twin City Mission or Scotty's house, we look at that yeah. as local, local charity, yeah. you know, right here in town. But but the Salvation Army BCS chapter is again, it is local. It's all all that fundraising stays here. Mm-hmm. So if I go to their site and I donate on on Salvation Army site, but I say this is my zip code, that money's automatically funneled into that local uh, Salvation Army. So, you know, when we're in a when we're in a pandemic and, and businesses are trying to figure out, you know, right side up and, and bringing themselves back around to all this, those businesses also still need an obligation mm-hmm. within their community to ensure that they're trying to take care of their community. And, and much the same way we do the podcast as a payback opportunity to our community. You know, it, it's the same thing. I think there are a lot of businesses, like you just said, that don't know. That, you know, again, I sat down at the table and, and I sat down at the table. I didn't have a clue. Yeah. But I got really well educated during that podcast. And it's tough because I'm also drawn during my podcast to sit there and go, man, I'm at two hours and 30 minutes. How many people really <laughs> want to listen to me babbling on for two two thirty? you know? But there's so much information in those podcasts when we bring people on board that not only do you get to learn about the business, you get to learn about the people. Right. You know, you get to learn about who it is behind the business that you're interviewing. And I think that's really what's real for people who listen in on there. If they're willing to commit the time and, you, you know, you're not going to absorb in two and a half in a day. No. It might be a week long process of you listening and chunking out 30 minutes at a time. But yeah, yeah. When you get to learn who those people are, you know, then it really makes your appreciation not only for their business hire. But for who's running that business and what their intentions are, even higher. Yeah. Uh, and it makes you want to go out there and spend the money locally. You know, how many businesses in town right now are three months out from closing? Oh, man, just so many. But there's no, there's no resource avenue for any of them to go on to and say, listen, if I don't get to X in three months, I'm done. Mm-hmm. What happens is is they put up something on a BCS Meals and Deals and says, hey, this is the last week we're going to be open. We're selling everything off. And then here comes the flood of people from uh, the If the only community. I'd have known. Yeah. Know. yeah. Oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. You're my favorite place. And, you know, but I've also seen something. Now, that's not knocking all these businesses because I've seen some of those businesses go out there and post like, this is my this is my dining room at 12 o'clock noon on a Tuesday and it's empty, you know, on the video. Yeah. And they're going, we really need people in. And it's it's short bursted when they go on there and do that. Like it's it's a quick in. You get a lot of the community kind of gets behind that. I mean, you know, <laughs> Kazmersky setting up uh, setting up meals and deals, man. I mean, 20, like 27,000 people are on that, right? Okay. And so you've got all these folks that are on there. They're like, it seems daily it's it's become in my world because I, I I'm a part of that 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 group but it's become almost monotonous like what's the Monday specials what's the Tuesday specials you know <laughs> and then all of a sudden something will will fall in there 
that's a call for help or, or a cry to action, you know, for a business. And man, it's, it's amazing how quickly a community, especially Bryan College Stationery, will rally around to get money into that person. And that might help to begin with. But again, is it maintainable? Can they do that for, you know, can they continue to do that week after week? Or is it one of those deals where, you know, it's a flash in the pan, it pays the bills for a month or two, and then, you know, two more months, you don't want to be the one going back into the group. Yeah, okay, guys, I'm back in this again, yeah, and I need yeah, everybody's sure. help. I mean, it, it then becomes a matter of maybe I'm just not what the community needs at this point, or maybe I need to change my business plan well, to figure that out. The, the problem with a lot of restaurants uh, that I've encountered, especially through COVID, because what we did was we, we opened our doors up um, – in, in, in uh, March because I got no idea what to do yeah. uh, to help and we didn't have any work coming in so I just opened my doors up and said hey guys if you want to record a video and let all your customers know your plans for COVID and what's going on mm-hmm. and, you know you shut down now you're sanitizing you'll be reopening this date or whatever come in record a free video we're not doing anything anyway you know the guys have to get paid so we might as well just just roll with it and so in doing that, one thing I noticed with restaurants is, um, you know, like, like I said before, owning a business is like 10% of it's your specialty. So 10% of it's cooking food. Yeah. The rest of it is, 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 you know, marketing, branding, managing, mm-hmm. and actually having a throughput of customers. And um, most restaurants and small restaurants that I deal with, they're, they're their entire fucking business plan, excuse me, is <laughs> just, oh, well, we've opened and we made some food and there's nobody here. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, what have you done? So one of the things that we offer, and I'm probably going to uh, put something up in this meals and deals thing because I didn't didn't even think to, to trigger it. Um, we've done it for several restaurants around here is we help them build their mailing lists, mm-hmm. right? We help them build a list to where they can keep in touch with their clients that have come through the door because it costs on average six times as much to bring in a new client mm-hmm. as it does to re-engage a past client. And if you can re-engage your past clients as a restaurant owner twice a month and have them come back every two weeks to eat with you, I mean, you'll develop clients for life. Yeah. And most of these guys aren't doing that. They're not dealing with it. So so what we came up with was a uh, all the menus have been hands-off. So uh, we've got a super, super stripped-out landing page software that we use, and we run a QR code to a very, very stripped-down landing page that loads a menu just mm-hmm. like that. And um, immediately above the menu, we'll put a sign-up for, hey, get 10% off your next order, sign up to our mailing list. And we get about a 60% conversion rate. So for if, if you're serving, um, let's say you're serving 50 people a day, um, you, you know, you're adding 30 people a day to your mailing list. Yeah. And it's the simplest thing you can do to build business quickly is to build a list, put people inside of a CRM and make it to where the people coming in the door organically can be reached again and again and again for free because you own the list. Right. Right. And um, you know what? I'm going to, after we get done recording this, I'm going to have the lads put together a video and I'll push it in there because that will, and it's a minimal fee. I mean, it's a couple of hundred bucks to get set up and it will really help some of these struggling businesses. Uh, number one, it'll, if they've not moved their menus online um put their menu add a qr code people before covid people were a little wary of qr codes Mm -hmm. and it seems like covid has been the catalyst to bring qr codes into our normal day-to-day life 
And, you know, the next issue people get is that their websites aren't mobile optimized. They take forever to load their website. Well, we don't even go on their website. We set up a very, very stripped down uh, image only landing page. And I mean, it loads instantly. And um, that way it can really help people. So I think after the show, I'm, I'm actually going to go do that because anything that we can do, I hate. I mean, I had a guy at the business owner's lunch today come talk to me about his, his restaurant that's struggling and all that stuff. And I hate seeing uh, businesses struggle when they're making um, rudimentary mistakes that can be relatively yeah. easily and cheaply fixed. So. Well, and then you've got, you know, the ones that were the hidden gems mm-hmm. that now all of a sudden there's a place for 27,000 people to rave about your, your food and your yep. menu and you all of a sudden, the, the one that, that came up to me, the, the one place that I learned about during COVID off of that page was, was Paisano's Pizza. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. what is going to sound even worse is, is I literally live, so they're on Wellburn out there. I literally live in Brewster Point, which is yeah. less than two miles away, right? And no clue they were there. No clue. And then we go, we just happen to see it. And, and I happen to see it from the standpoint of, you know, somebody just said, where's a good place to get pizza rolls? And, of course, the first thing popped in my mind is, oh, Double Davis is the place to get pizza rolls, right? But then it was Paisanos, Paisanos, Paisanos. And I'm like, man, this place, where is this place? First, yep. now I look it up, I'm like, oh, it's right around the corner. And then we go over there, we get a, you know, we get a box of them, we bring them back home. Now my daughter's like, you know, this is it. This, well, is, the, this is what I want from here on out. And so they capitalized on something they didn't invest anything into yeah. other than word of mouth on a, on a page that was an opportunity for people to be able to express what their favorites were. Right. But you do it right. And you serve your customer. Right. And yeah. like I get tagged in realtor posts all the time and it, 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 it would never happen in the beginning. It happens over time being consistently good at, yeah. at what you're doing. And those guys, honestly, mate, I don't eat a lot of pizza. Um, there is a fat kid that lives inside of me that loves pizza yeah. and video games and, um, you know, travel into areas where it's legal and smoking stuff. And I have to fight him every single day and <laughs> defeat him. So, no, I don't eat a lot of pizza. But I will say that, um, you know, a, fr- a friend of mine lives out there uh, that way. And we have uh, we have music sessions at his house, a yeah. little, little guitar circle, uh, once or twice a month. And every time they bring pizza uh, out there, it's uh, it's top notch. He's not so. off of Portland over there, is he? No, no. He's he's... Like, I've heard some jam sessions going on off of oh, Portland over there. I so. need to drive down Portland then. Yeah. No, I like a good jam session if anybody's listening. <laughs> the the uh, I think the important and valuable piece that that's underlying with that statement about you know the BCS meals and deals page and everything else is your input as a customer is valuable. Oh yeah, and so uh, I, I think that when I had Dallas on the on the podcast, he had talked about man, if you want to help a business, leave a review. Absolutely, or go to a site like that and leave a quick little. This was the greatest thing. Well, also. Ever. If, if you want to help a podcast, leave a review. Now's a good time. Just click on that little button there. Go go out there. Sorry, yeah, carry had, on. If we had a camera, we could point to it. Yeah. Here or subscribe. Yeah, so d- be sure and hit stuff. that subscribe button. Yeah. No, I mean, but I mean, the value of a review today, as opposed to the value of a review five years ago. Oh, yeah, it's gold. I mean, because now everybody is looking on those sites as opposed to, you know, I'm a drive around or, you know, now you got a site you can literally just go to and say, what's the best of this? You know, mm-hmm. my new favorite chicken sandwich is so flat chicken. And I don't know if you've been over there out of public in Maine. I have not, but I, I, I honestly, I heard about it through the BCS Mills page on, on Facebook. Yeah. Unbelievable. But yeah. again, and it, it's a ghost kitchen. So it's not even a place that 
has a big sign on the outside of it. Literally, their business is being driven by word of mouth on those pages from people who are going and getting it and then posting on their social media and sharing it with their friends. But that's how the shift has happened, um, especially in small business, uh, because it boils down to people want to buy stuff from people they know, they like, and they trust. Yeah, right? and, and they want to go and experience stuff that people have said, hey, this is good. So I trust you, right? Yeah, I yeah, know you. Sure. So if you come up on your Facebook profile and say, holy crap, guys, you've got to check out this chicken sandwich. It's yeah. over here. It's the bomb. Yeah. I love it. I'm going to go check it out right. far more right than if I saw a paid ad for SoFly chicken sandwiches and yeah. just scroll right past it. Yeah. And what a lot of business owners are now realizing and it's it's exactly what I do is that social validation is one of the most important things in marketing that that is happened over the last 10 years it's having the validation and having other people talk about your business that that's what that's all that drives my real estate business yeah. I have literally um, zero ads that run for my real estate business Everything I get from real estate is word of mouth from people that know me, that have worked with me, that find me on Facebook, yeah. and and that's it. And you know, maybe I could run some ads and make a little bit more money, but I get those people that are like me. I get the people that fit my target demographics, and it all comes from that root in social media. And it's it's still very very much. I mean, it only started developing as a marketing tactic i would guess eight to ten years ago mm -hmm. um before that word of mouth's always been just the best way to, to to do it but on social media it only started developing that eight to ten years ago and it really started skyrocketing over the last couple of years with the implementation of groups on social media and the ability to talk to groups of people and build groups um around specific uh things such as small business such as uh, food and restaurants and right. you know they're not buying um something from an ad they're buying something that somebody they know has talked about and said go and get this go and try it and it's the strongest kind of marketing that there is yeah you know i'm always there's always a little part of me that's leery about you know when you talk about reviews on people's business pages like facebook or wherever they're at some of those some of those reviews worry me a little bit i need to do a better job of getting reviews yeah i, I don't and, ask and for them enough we talked about it as a business where we would say hey you know let's let's ask every customer when they come hey if you felt like we did a good job please give us mm -hmm. a review here and we kind of fell off of that um and then you also have this concern about you know businesses that go and buy their own reviews mm -hmm. Um, and so those are typically the businesses that are sitting out there with thousands of reviews and they're yeah. all fives and fours and that type of stuff. And, and I, I definitely didn't want us to, to find a situation where we were, we were tainting a true record that was being built there, but uh, something that happened in our business, we had a, we had a group that, uh, apparently the, the stuff that we did wasn't to the, the level of expectation that they had. The person goes and gives us a one-star rating on the Facebook page. Um, I went back, said, I'd love to talk to you about your review so we can try and make this right for you if something wasn't mm -hmm. right, because I, I didn't hear anything about it, obviously, in the store. And I always tell people, you know, most business owners, I think they can relate to this statement. They can't fix what they don't know. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. It doesn't do any yeah. good after you leave and go blow them up on social media and you never had a conversation with them nope. in their business. Mm -hmm. You know, but then what this person also did was they went out and they recruited 
like eight of their friends to go on and give us all one star reviews, Oof. even though they weren't involved in the process. That's that's and, brutal, and, man. And it was uh, I'm literally watching this thing transpire in real time, where I'm typing to one and boop one star while I'm typing. And then I started realizing about three in, I started realizing what was happening. So then I reached back to Facebook and I said, listen, you know, I get this one here, these other ones here, this, these are not legitimate. You Mm -hmm. know, we've got the one here and we're working on correcting this one. Uh, But these other ones that have piled in here is not legitimate. Facebook wouldn't change it. They're like, sorry for your luck. You know, I mean, that's just kind of how it is. And and they don't go away. Uh, You know, that's the other piece of that is, is I can't stress to, to business owners that are out there right now, those reviews don't just fall off. You know, it's not no. like you get X number of years down and they, they fall off. I mean, I was at a business, and I'm, I'm not going to blow them up on here, but I was at a business I didn't feel like treated me right. I gave the person that was running the business an opportunity, face-to-face meeting, talked exactly what what my expectation was, which wasn't a, you know, wasn't a, a huge ask for them to mm-hmm. make right. They chose not to, and I went and, and one started them and blew them up on their Facebook page, and and uh, and it was unfortunate because I I am always the guy like let me tell you what I need from you or what I at least expect from you to make this right, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be something out of the ordinary, unusual. But I'm also the guy, you know. There's a story back when when we booked a trip to to go to California. We went to Coronado. And we were staying at a Marriott hotel. Now, then again, so this just kind of, and this was, my gosh, this was five, six years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So this speaks to the power of of social media. So on Marriott's site, they basically had a, if you find something cheaper, you book through us, you find something cheaper, we'll beat it by 25%, right? I'm like, oh, man, that's a pretty aggressive deal. So I called in to book my room and talked to a guy on the phone. And he's like, yeah, yeah, this is how it works, man. You book with us. You find something cheaper. Here's the site that you go to. You put the link in there. And then if it's cheaper, then they cut you to 25% back uh, off of what you paid. And they'll, they'll make sure they match the price, then beat it by 25. That's how it worked. And so, okay. So I found the price cheaper on Travelocity by a couple of dollars. I go in there take a copy of the deal, put it into the link, send it in. And the response that I get back from Marriott is, is, you know, well, this isn't the same because with us, you can cancel up 24 hours and with Travelocity, you can't cancel. It's like 72 hours. And so it's not (laughs) apples to apples. And I'm like, man, y'all kidding me. Right? Like, cause now I've booked the hotel and I'm sitting there going, why would I have booked it with you guys if it was cheaper over here? knowing that y'all are nitpicking this thing yeah. all the way down, right? That's what you say. So you've got a 24-hour cancellation, right? Yeah. So, I mean... But <laughs> Guess I, what's I, happening but, now. But I already, you know, I had flight. I had everything uh-huh. ready to go. But I'm sitting there going, you know, this isn't right. And so I call in the customer service line and I speak to the first person. And I realize that level's not really where I need to be uh-huh. to address that concern. So I ask for a supervisor, move my way up. Long story short, I eventually end up at the head of customer service for Marriott. And I was basically told by that person, like... And not so many words you don't like it. I'll cancel your reservation for you and we'll just be done. And that's exactly, and she, you know, it was no, 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 no. And then when we got to the that conversation mm-hmm. about, well, then, you know, maybe I just need to consider booking somewhere else. And it was literally three seconds. Okay, I've already got that canceled for you. Wow. You know? And so I was like, wow, like, okay, what was your name? Taking all this information down. 
And then I went to social media. I posted the story of what happened. I put it on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and then started doing very intentional tags uh-huh. and hashtags and everything else. Anyway, by my calculation of everything, I basically opened them up to about 1.7 million people to be able to see that. <laughs> and it took no time at all that all of a sudden I started getting little DM messages yeah. from the people who monitor those going, hey, we'd love to talk to you. Well, while all that's going on, I also got an email from what's called the president's, uh, I forget what it is, something like the president's council or something. Anyway, it's like their top level of customer service. It's past right. the girl that I'm talking yeah. to. And so these people are DMing me. I'm like, okay, well, I've already been contacted by this. And they're like, oh, well, that's the highest you can get in our company. So mm-hmm. you're where you need to be at. And this lady finally calls me, and she is the executive assistant to the CEO. And she's like, listen, Mr. Lyle, I'm sorry. We've, we've really screwed this up. We want to make this right. We want to give you a $200 this and a $300. And I go, listen, I don't want any of that. All I want is what you said. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, because I don't want to come off as the customer that, oh, I'm going to get them for whatever I can get. I only want what you said. Yeah. Do that and we're done and we're good and I'll take everything down. And so she's like, well, but we can give you a $200 spot credit while you're there too. And we'll have a, uh, we'll have the manager come out and meet you at the, then I, I don't want that. All I want is what we talked about. So she gets all that done. I said, thank you very much. I turned around, I shot an email into the CEO. Uh, you know, and one of the things most people don't know is you can pretty much find most CEOs oh, everybody. online. Yeah, they're all on LinkedIn. Yep. You can go look them up. So I sent an email into the CEO talking about how great she was. You know, didn't really appreciate these folks that were over here, but this one kind of saved it. Thank you for doing all that. And the response that I got back was from the CEO's iPad in the hotel room that he was in that night. Damn. And he's like, man, we're, we're really sorry we screwed this up. And I, I hope that, you know, you'll continue to stay with us. That meant, I mean, it, and it was the idea of let me blow you up. It was do what you told me you were going to do. But look, it's the power of social media. Yeah. I mean, it, it can hold us all accountable. I mean, we had a... We had a review left for Media Foundry when we weren't even open. Uh, we, we cut the office down here, and some guy left a, a three-star review because he was sitting outside drinking, and he's like, well, this place isn't open, so I'm just going to – like, legit. And his whole thing was, well, it says on the map that it's Texas Media Foundry, but there's nothing here, so I'm going to leave these guys three stars. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> So I, I screenshotted it and posted it on social media, yeah. and um, I didn't tag the guy in it. Obviously, I, I could have – very easily from his username figured out who he sure. was yeah. and screenshotted it posted it to social media and within a day the uh, the lady that owned the wine bar who's, who's a friend of mine had seen it she reached out to him and he changed that um, he changed the review and 12 other people jumped in all customers all prior customers nobody lied there was no fake reviews they all jumped in and they left reviews so my, my company went from unreviewed to three stars <laughs> to uh, 13 five star reviews nice. and it's it's all due to the way people respond and react on, on social media and any small business that overlooks that dude you have to give up your right to be right. Mm-hmm. You just have to say, you know what? Good call, man. You got me. You're right. Let's make this right. Let's do this right. And let's move on down yeah. the road. Um, too many people will stand on a hill, plant a flag and say, right, uh, this is it. And I'm not wavering. And I'm, I'm going to die. But man, you have to give up that right. You you have to just roll with the punches and, uh, and get over it and, and get on with it. Man. That's so funny you bring that up because that's actually that. That's a, the exact at 
that's the exact description that I use to train our supervisors and our people with. I said, you're going to pick the hill you want to die on. Mm -hmm. And I did and, not know that. I've never been trained by, yeah, sorry. by you. Just, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it sounded like it there for a second. But, <laughs> yeah, you pick the hill you want to die on. Is this the hill you want to die on today? And that really becomes the question. When you got that customer that's upset with you, and again, we're going back to that, you know, white, black, and gray, mm -hmm. and you're sitting there going, is this the hill I want to die on today? You know, I, I in my in my managerial career and taking care of customers. So you can imagine how many times your store manager at 150 million dollar superstar how many times you're dealing with upset customers oh yeah yeah and you're yeah. not getting called to the service desk to tell you how great you're doing you're, you're getting called up there because something's going on mm -hmm. and that mentality of is this the hill i want to die on really becomes how important is this for us to just you know to to part potentially part ways here with this person right mm -hmm. Um, and is this something that, again, have we faulted here? Is there something we miscommunicated? Is there something we did? And then you're looking at that of going, okay, how much are we talking about here? Yeah. I mean, are we talking thousands of dollars? Or are we talking two bucks? I, you know, I mean, I, it amazes me in, in the level of managers that I trained throughout 20 years of how many guys want to die on a hill for a dollar. Yeah. You know, and, and you're just looking at them going, man, you know, Let's let's assume we're right and they're wrong. Is a dollar really worth it, all of that? It's like, not. Yeah. And what you have to remember in, in customer service, um, a lot of times people with complaints have other things going on in life that is causing the your one little two dollar item or two dollar dispute to be the straw that is actively breaking that camel's back yeah. at that particular point in time. And a lot of times people just want to be heard. They yeah, just man. want to be heard and empathized with. And you know what, sir, I'm sorry. Let me let me get that taken care of for you. Let me treat you a little bit special today. Because you don't know what, what battles that guy's fighting at yeah. home, what that woman's fighting at home. Well, or using, you know, in the in that same point of you know, validating what it is that they're saying, you know, repeating that back to them. And then I say using phrases like, sure, well, I can understand why you'd feel that way. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean you, you know, nobody wants to to talk to the the leader, the owner, the the supervisor, or whatever, and just hear, okay, all right, <laughs> what do you want me to do? Or they walk up, and the initial the initial out of out of the mouth statement is, "What's going on?" You yeah, know, like you know, instead of like, yeah, you know, I used to always would I would introduce myself. Hi, I'm Lowell. What what can I do for you today? What brings you over here to see us? And you mm -hmm. know, first off, you know, we appreciate you being here. What can we do to to fix where you're at, you know, and you just kind of walk them back off of the ledge that yeah. they're already on. Yeah. And, but you use that through affirmation of, of, I hear you. I understand what it is that you're telling me. You know, you ask qualifying and clarifying questions that really kind of put everything in perspective for yep. you. And a lot of times, even in those situations where you may have to override one of your employees yeah. to make, you know, which is a tough place to be because they're sitting there and they're waiting for you to validate them behind the register that they've made a decision on a policy or something along that line. And you're sitting there going, you know, take care of the customer. And then instead, a lot of managers just go, okay, have a good day. And they leave and walk away. They don't sit there with that employee and say, let me explain to you yeah. why I made this decision and why we want to do this going forward. While you were right in, in following our policy to the T and everything else, there's a little bit of gray in this particular situation, and this is something I can carry up to my supervisor. Yeah. Uh, but then going back and picking your person's ego, ego, respect, whatever, you know, their, their, 
they've put that out for your company based mm-hmm. on what you've told them to do. Of course, and yeah. going back, putting that back together, but then also using that as a teaching and trainable moment to say, listen, you know, this is is probably a better way to handle it. Not everybody handles it this way, but I bet if you do it this way, you'll be the number one person up here that people would want to take care of their situations. I like that. All right. Before we wrap up today, Lowell, um, number one, thank you for coming, hanging out. I'm going to ask you the same uh, question that I ask all my guests um, because every one of them has a different answer. And uh, I love to get different perspectives on this question. And uh, I haven't, uh, I haven't prepped him for this question. This is coming straight out of, uh, straight out of nowhere. Um, well, one thing I ask is if you were giving advice to somebody starting out in business today, what would be the most important piece of advice you could pass on to that person? Man, I I would probably lay a foundation of saying, you're going to build this thing and you're going to make a ton of mistakes along the way. And you got to give yourself grace in the process of doing that because those mistakes, yeah, I think you and I kind of talked about how people tie their identity to that business, right? Absolutely, it's, it's their yeah. baby, it's who yeah. they are, uh, it's their validation, it's all of those things. But when you give yourself grace, when you know you either, you've either jumped too quick, made a wrong decision, made a decision that cost you more money than it should have, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a lot of the cases when somebody's starting up a business, man, they, they again you've got this envisionment and you started creating these checklists and everything else. And, and that due diligence is all great, you know, but does it, does it meet the need and does it meet where the customers are at when the door opens and then realizing it, I mean, and I'll use us as an example. When we opened, we, when we opened our retail part, we sold A&M merchandise mm-hmm. and uh, you can literally stand out on Welsh, look down the street and see Kyle field, right? There. Yeah. Uh, several blocks away, right? Mm-hmm. So we thought, man, we're we're in the market. We can sell it over here. Well, then we learned, you know, year after year, we're like, okay, mate, you know, we're lowest price. We're definitely we've got some of the same goods, but we're selling them cheaper than everybody else in town. But what we learned was was nobody's going down Welsh to get to to get to the stadium. They're mm-hmm. all going down Welburn. Mm-hmm. They're all going down Texas, you know. And and while we wanted to hang on to that and go, we can make this work. It was the idea of seeing it and going, we need to release this. Yeah. We need to, we need to pivot off of this because we were, we were ordering stuff nine months out and then, which you can't tell any trends when you're doing that kind of stuff. So you're ordering stuff nine months out, you're spending premiums on everything because uh-huh. we weren't able to print our own stuff. Right. And now all of a sudden you're just, you're hanging on going, I'm going to make this successful. And that's <laughs> where I think, I think some business owners just get crushed is, Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be here 24 seven. I'm not taking any days. I I mean, instead of stepping back again out of the emotion and making a good solid decision based on what facts are, not what yes. feelings are, yes. and then you sit there and turn around and go, this is probably what we need to do. So I mean, we probably realistically should have recognized that we should have been out of AM merchandise within a year and a half to two years, and we hung on that sucker for four years trying to make it work, yeah. paying bill after bill after bill when we were ordering the stuff and, and selling clearance after clearance after clearance on it. And and there's a part of you when you give that up that just you feel like you failed in that part of your planning mm-hmm. um, and you want to prove that you're right. And a lot of times you just have to put that <laughs> ego down Man. to be able to make good decisions for long-term pivoting. That is what this podcast is all about. It is coming to terms with the fact that every single one of us has failed 
uh, and really the road to success is built on the back of failure and how much you fail and how much you're prepared to learn from those failures. So, uh, man, thank you, uh, Lowell, for coming in. Before we wrap up, real quick, where can people reach you online? So if you're looking at the store, we're over at 1810 Welsh Avenue over in College Station. We're right next to the Consolidated High School and really more specific next to CSISD administrative offices. Uh You can reach us at 979-693-7773 or you can see our website online, which is apparel A-P-P-A-R-E-L. You'd be surprised how many people misspell apparel, Uh .com. Uh, and we've got everything listed on there as well too. So, and uh, if you need people to come out to you, uh, maybe you're just too tied up in your business, you're trying to fight things. We, you know, we have outside sales reps that we can send to you as well too, uh, to help you with catalogs, purchasing, anything from, you know, whether it's you know apparel needs to promotional goods to signing needs, we can take care of all those things for you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a badass guest, Mr. Lowell Lyle, the co-owner of M&M Apparel here in College Station and uh, the host of the BCS Community Connections podcast. Lowell, thank you one more time for coming on the show. And uh, guys, if you've enjoyed this show, as always, I would ask you to hop over to uh, iTunes and leave us a five-star review and a comment and let us know you liked it. And uh, we will see you all very, very soon on the next episode of Small Business Surgeon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. If you made it this far, you clearly liked it. So go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. This helps people find the show and spread the good word. Share it with friends and follow us at Small Business Surgeon on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you for your follow-up next week. The Small Business Surgeon was recorded at Texas Media Foundry in downtown Bryan, Texas. Check them out at txfoundry.com. Ooh, yeah.